Hello out there, welcome to episode 73 of Love That Album. I've already recorded and edited the show, but it's only post-editing that I've thought of a name for this program, as will become evident why fairly shortly I've decided to call this show The Mystery Box. I saw you with the box! What was in the box? Uh, what's in the box? What's in the box? Nobody worries about kids listening to thousands, literally thousands of songs about heartbreak, rejection, pain, misery, and loss. Did I listen to pop music because I was miserable? Or was I miserable because I listened to pop music? Well, music is my life, man. What do you want me to do? there welcome to episode number 73 of love that album podcast so please you could join us my name is morris and this time around i have not one but two guests two very coveted guests and i'll go in order as i see them on my skype screen so on the left of my skype screen host of the sitting in a bar in adelaide podcast mr michael persh good evening to you michael g'day mate there you go nice to, uh, nice to be here uh, all the better for having your dulcet tones back on the show. We were going to have you on at the end of the year special, but damn that accursed Skype for not working on your computer at the time. But And I didn't even say John Hyatt. Oh, I just did. Oh, you don't. Oh, that's it. Oh, we're, we're in big trouble. No, actually, I'm, I'm pretty convinced now that John Hyatt is no longer the curse to this show that he used to be. So um, we're actually sort of going to be booking somewhere down the, the line for... Uh, Jeff Smith and myself to finally talk about uh, Bring the Family. So we'll probably call it Bring the Family Redux or something like that. But yeah, we're going to finally get it done this year. It'll be a lot of fun. And on the right of my Skype screen, I don't. he doesn't actually have a, a, an icon or a picture of himself there, but it says his name down there below, so it must be him. My very good friend, work colleague and music enthusiast, Mr. Dave Blom. Good evening, Dave. Yeah, good evening, Morris. It's uh, wonderful to have uh, two fellow Australian music enthusiasts on the show and yeah are we are we going to do the whole oz dj thing you're listening to the sounds of the podcast now that's with an american accent that doesn't work does it uh, no i don't think so i think we'll just be ourselves okay mate. so i should probably state what it is that we're going to be doing this time around we decided that we'd do something a little bit different rather than talking about one or two specific albums for the show there's so many albums out there that we all admire and you know i mean like you know i'm sure love that album probably has a limited shelf life i'm not going to be here for you know, 30 or 40 years, although you never know, I might be. But anyway, so I thought it might be good to do something in the vein of what our very good friend and compatriot, well, as in planet compatriot, not Australian compatriot, but a very good friend, Mr. Eric Reanimate, who does his album I Love segment, which basically takes what, what I take an hour and a half to two hours to do. He does it all in 10 minutes. So what we've decided this time is we're going to each talk about three albums, so nine albums in total, but the theme uh, for us will be Australian albums. And there'll be you know, a mixture of some iconic stuff, uh, some a little bit more obscure stuff, 
some stuff that you may have missed, some stuff that may be away from your radar, and some stuff that will be, you know, very well known to you. Who knows? We're going to go through uh, our list, and but the the one thing in common with all these albums is that we love them all. They're all great records. If you've heard them, well, I hope that you find our discussion about it interesting. And if you haven't heard of some of these albums, well, we hope that you go search them out. But wait, there's more. It's not just going to be us. Uh, Eric Reanimator, who I mentioned a moment ago, does his album I love segment every program. And I thought, well, just because we're all covering Australian albums, that was no excuse to not let Eric in on the action. So there are a couple of albums, a couple of Australian albums that he weighs in on with his album I love segment. And I'm not going to reveal them. Uh, you will hear them in due course when we get to his uh, album I love segment. And um, all I will say is one of them is a very iconic album. Anyway, we'll get to that eventually in the show. But uh, what we'll do is we'll start off with... Um, who, who did we say was going to go first? I think Dave, you are going to go first, yeah. weren't you? All right, so uh, Dave, your first album uh, for the evening. What is it that uh, you'd like to reveal to the listeners out there that they should be digging on? Okay, it's the sophomore effort from a Melbourne band called The Orb Weavers and the album's called Loom. Mary, your water flows into the quarry where blue stars once lay below But now the gutters are paved with your heart And the hole is filled with clay And fallen home And it's a song that's really about Melbourne locations. It's a song about Bear Greyhound, uh, has songs about many waterways, much love, death, and uh, plenty of histories, um, things on locations. So places like the Merry Creek, uh, suburbs like Spotswood, and um, the history and their real life experiences. So um, I, I had a bit of a listen because uh, you've been after me for a long while to uh, get into the Orb Weavers, and you sort of you know said have a listen to this track, have a listen to that track, and it took me a long while, but they are really really beautiful, uh, sort of like a, a mixture of folky sounds and but you know, also a little bit of that. Uh, that Fender sound, the sort of surfy Fender sound on, on uh, a couple of the cuts that uh, you presented to me. Yeah, and there's also um, plenty of uh, string violin work that Marita Dyson, lead singer, provides, and it, it does really all sort of blend in very well together. Mm-hmm. But I think the most amazing thing about this album is um, the actual stories themselves, and in particular when they like to delve into history. And uh, you you learn about the history of a place, and it's a place where you can go and visit. So, for example, if you go to the Science Works Museum in Spotswood, it's the location where Dr. Lucy Alford uh, worked. Who she was the first female scientist employed anywhere in Australia, and uh, she was employed by the Sewerage Works. Mm-hmm. And the song Spotswood tells the story of her life and there's a lot of tracks like that where you have the actual ability to visit 
the physical location, and it's a theme that they've returned to in subsequent releases. Now, didn't you, didn't you say to me once that did they sort of like do like a, a tour of Melbourne? They went and did a walk around tour of Melbourne to show some of the places that they were writing about in their songs, or am I imagining that? I can't remember. Yeah, you're actually, I suppose, imagining it. I actually okay. suggested it to them as an idea. Ah, um, okay. Well, I knew you mentioned something in that vein that you thought it might be a good yeah, idea. Yeah, I, I actually suggested it as a bike ride because um, where most of their songwriting seems to have taken place has been uh, places like along the Merry Creek Trail yep. and they're places that are easily accessible by bike path that you actually never meet a car going and it turns out when i suggested this to them that both are actually enthusiastic uh, cyclists in terms of um home to work they very much dress up elegantly and gently ride their bike to work mm-hmm. nice just like just like your good self oh, on occasions yeah <laughs> i always saw the double thread a double thread around my neck keeps me So, so give us a little bit more history about um, about the band. Do you know about how they formed? Yeah, I, I believe that they sort of um, formed um, or met through their work. Um, they're a librarian and a um, museum worker by trade. Okay. And so, obviously, they they do have uh, a love of the history, a love of literature, and. A love of actually reading up and finding out what actually occurred throughout history. So, in their song Double Thread, which is one of the songs that I've given you to feature, mm-hmm. they've taken sort of the rhythm of the Brunswick factories there that were um, pumping out um, great amounts of clothing. Mm-hmm. And one of the great things that Marita has done over time has been to. Um, talk about all of the clothing industry of inner Melbourne. So we had textile factories in Brunswick. We had um, factories along Flinders Lane. And there's very little to actually see of these factories nowadays. Like when we go into work, Flinders Lane's just round the corner. And all along that section of Flinders Lane was the, the height of the rag trade during the 60s. Even. Right, as, as was Brunswick and Fitzroy, for sure. And- parts of St Kelda too. Yeah, and their, their songs tend to feature, I suppose, things that you ordinarily wouldn't go, you know, this wouldn't normally be your sort of thing to listen to, but I, I guess it's the tone of Marita's voice and sort of the amount of knowledge and effort that they've gone into with their lyrics and how carefully chosen their stories have been. They've, they've been very, I suppose, amazing in how they can make such an interesting record. You can run, you can run, but you will never ever run truly free. Oh, it breaks my heart, unbridled futures, not the plane we see. I remind myself that I still 
there are two other things that I really wish to draw the listeners' attention to with this album. The first is the effort that they made in the making the music uh, sounding like the rhythm of whatever it was they were trying to replicate or the surroundings of where they were replicating. So when they played Double Thread, they were trying to make the song sound like a humming sewing machine. Mm. When they're playing Merry, they've taken all Cree clan noises, birds, and the whisper of the wind type sound of it. It's just those little um, uh, backfills that really give give a nice intimacy to the album. So does this, is this sound guy able to uh, implement that in a live setting? Yeah, they, they really do manage to work it well as a, a live sound. Like they um, use, I suppose, a, a doubling of Marita's voice for the album when they do double thread. However, when they play it live, Stuart, the guitarist, fills in with the vocals mm. when they're singing it in a round. It, something that just absolutely sounds amazing and yeah they're able to replicate pretty much everything live and pull it off excellent the the final thing that i wanted to draw everyone's attention to was the nature of the relationships and how they really sort of real life kind of feel and um how they deal with interpersonal relationships and the way that they have to look after their dog. They've got a retired racing greyhound and she was trained to run in races. However, because she's a racing greyhound, she's not allowed off her lead in a public place. So she could run at a high speed. And so they've got a song about her on um, the album called You Can Run. And it's how their dog Fern has to stay on the lead at all times and how other dogs are free to run up to her. And the only time that they're allowed to let her off and run is when they go to the Brunswick Velodrome and let her run around inside <laughs> an enclosed space. Yeah, and I, I like the sound of that. I like uh, they, uh, they take these sort of ordinary, everyday, personal things and you know, can just sort of bring them into a, a really charming, really lovely musical context. Yeah, and it, it just seems to be that sort of real-life relationship type thing that seems to evoke more emotion the the songs seem i suppose more endearing there's more i suppose emotion and love and feeling about them and it's what this album really really does well and telling a great story excellent that that's uh that's a that's a solid recommendation all right michael you're uh number one well i, d- I decided guys that that i'd try and pick three adelaide artist um and and i guess like folks in australia will be will be familiar with them but i'm i'm hoping that that um people that uh, listen to your show from overseas and i know there's a lot of people that listen to you uh, from the states and far fine corners of the world may not be familiar with them so that's sort of where i was going and i, I tried to pick sort of things from different eras as well so um the, f- the first one i picked was uh, was John Swan, or Australians are known as Swanning. Can't you please that you finally got good at something? I was starting to wonder if a jump could get an evil break. Well, I always try hard and I never gave up on nothing. Get back. So have a little 
been around since since the seventies making. We discussed this the other day, didn't we, Morris? He's, he's had such a, a diverse career, and I, I haven't, can't say I've liked it all. Uh, he, he started off in Adelaide, actually, as the, the drummer in Fraternity with Bon Scott. Uh, no, I, knew, I knew he was a drummer, but I didn't know he played for Fraternity. Yeah, and he's a wild drummer. Um, if, I, if I digress, did we, he, we had the... Did he play uh, on Seasons of Change? No, no, it was after that. In the, the very... I don't know that there's any recordings of him actually with Fraternity. I certainly haven't come across any. And um, yeah, I, th- I think it was in the very late stages of Fraternity. But we, um, yeah, I digress. My, my band had the, the, the fortune of, um, of actually supporting him many years ago. And um, he actually get up, got up and um, in the gig and did, uh, did a Led Zeppelin, John Bonham style drum solo. And he is fantastic. Yeah. And um, uh, he was also the original, um, well, maybe not the original drummer. He might have been. He played drums in Cold Chisel for a while anyway. There you go. So pre-Steve Presswich? I think so. I'm not a bit... Yeah, maybe, I think. Yeah. I, I have to... Don't, Cold Chisel fans, get on to me and, and tell uh, Morris or I that that is uh, correct or incorrect. But he, he did um, he did play for a little while in Chisel, I'm sure. But anyway, I digress. So, um, so Swanee started off his, his career as a, I guess nationally in a band called Feather and I that's where I first discovered him so I'm talking about 1976 77 and the guitar player in Feather was um, the one and only Stuart Fraser who is a fine guitar player people will know him in Australia because he ended up being a guitar player in John Farman's band for many years mm-hmm. um, and they were an awesome band fantastic band they were all sort of Stuart Fraser was about 14 in this band and Swanee was quite a bit older um, he'd moved to Sydney from Adelaide then and he, he after that he made a series of, of solo albums which were the first couple were quite rocky and then he went into a very schmaltzy sort of you know, I guess Barry Manilow's not a fair comparison but no but it was, yeah, it was that sort of 80s sax strong power ballad sort of thing lady what's your name and yeah, yeah. It's over the top version of uh, if I were a carpenter. I, I have, and I, think I have to, I have to say, I do have a soft spot, though I can't say why, for uh, temporary heartache. But there's, um, I mean, it has all those same ingredients of schmaltz, and yet uh, there's still something about that song that I'm attracted to. And I think some of those tunes got quite a bit of airplay um, in Canada and the US. So. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd be interested if your, your listeners sort of had come across those tunes, but it, it's a long time ago. But anyway, in, in recent years, Swanee has sort of changed direction, and 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 an album that I that I really like that sort of started, I guess, his last two or three is called "Have a Little Faith," um, and it's a very it, it reminds me of the band, and I'm a, I'm not a big Dylan fan, but I love the band. I just you know their out their three first three albums. I think it's just magnificent. They they don't date. They just they just sound as great as they ever did. And and Swanee sort of captured that on this. It's it's very acoustic. It's very and he's done. As you mentioned, uh, if I were a carpenter, he's done a a remake of his remake of that on this. a carpenter and you were a lady 
Would you marry me anyway? Oh, would you have my baby? If a drinker were my trade, would you still find me? Carrying the parts I've made, follow close behind me. On this album, man, it's 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 slow and it's acoustic and it, and it really shows what a great voice he's got. So, so well, does, it, does it sort of have an Americana feel? Absolutely, very much so. And um, all you know, all and and from us, you know, there's been a few Australian bands that have sort of cheated on achieving that. You know, the Dingoes, for example, mm-hmm. but not many Australian bands have really achieved that. And in the last sort of three albums that Swanee's done, I think he's really found his niche. And um, yeah, really does that really well. So uh, there's probably some some Australians who haven't sort of may have lost track of Swanee or or you know haven't uh, sort of kept up with his career after all these years. But I, I would suggest if you if that sounds interesting, to get onto his website because I think you can download pretty much most of his stuff uh, and including this album. So uh, it's really worth a listen. I suppose the the other way of looking at at this is the fact that he is playing them acoustically. They can give different life to the original 80s tracks. Well, Liberation Records were doing that for quite a few years, weren't they? They were getting a whole lot of uh, the acts from Mushroom Record label and saying, look, you know, go do any number of either hits or deep album cuts in an acoustic fashion. And you had Mick Thomas doing it of the old Weddings Parties Anything material. James Rain, Ian Moss, um, God, yeah. Jenny Morris, The Church, um, yeah, a whole bunch. So that was like a um, a, a successive coup for for uh, Liberation Records. They had this whole back catalogue and say, right, here's your next album. Just do the old stuff, but do it slightly differently. So yeah, so yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. So, um, but yeah, it, fascinating to hear that uh, John Swan could absolutely rip it up on the kit. I mean, as I said, I knew he was a drummer, but I didn't know exactly how good. Mm, no, he's, he's very a very fine drummer indeed. Excellent yeah. news. Excellent. How, how are his vocals stacking up? Oh, I think better than ever because again, he's found found a niche that I think really suits the way he sings. And um, as many of the guys that I grew up with that are that are sort of in their fifties and sixties now, their their voices I think are actually better than what they were. We, you know, we spoke about. Uh, Morris and I often speak about Jimmy Barnes, you know, the, the early cold chisel stuff, he was actually singing. I think, you know, a lot of his, his solo stuff, he screams. So, again, he seems to be now in recent years sort of going back to things that, that more suit his voice. And, I've, you know, Swanee's certainly done that, I think so. And, and so, yeah, the album, have a little faith is the album. So, um, yeah. yeah, check it out, folks. I was, I was, yeah. going, to, I was going to mention, insofar as a, a singer who uh, you and I, Michael, both agree is, uh, every bit as good as if not better than what he was it was uh, a previous fellow who we spoke about on uh, the show mr mick peeling oh yes yeah who we who we both went and saw uh, last year and that's right i think you agree we were blown away how great his voice is yeah he's uh, absolutely incredibly impressive because you listen to those old stars records and you know he sounds a treat there but in a live context you know here in you know 2015 he can still blow him away and i don't really think he's not trying to take over the world he's got nothing to prove but he's just he's always had the talent and he hasn't abused his voice 
So um, no, I, yeah, absolutely. He, yeah, someone I really, really admire. But now I'll, I'll definitely be looking forward to uh, hearing those tracks, those uh, Swanee tracks, and see uh, if that band comparison is a uh, is something that I can uh, see into because uh, you, you've got my interest up now. Mm, like I said, I'm, I'm I'm like you. There's a lot of the Swanee's early stuff that sort of leaves me a bit cold, but mm, um, mm. production-wise and and what they've captured with this is uh, is is something really nice. Excellent. So the name the name of the album was again. Just have a little faith. Have a little faith. There's a John Hyatt link again. Good lord. So uh, okay. So uh, there you go. You can uh, and I, I forgot to mention. Sorry, Dave. The Orb Weavers uh, stuff that's easily obtainable through uh, iTunes or through their website, through Bandcamp or something. Yeah, and through SoundCloud. So I'll supply you with the link. Very good. Very good. Uh, so Michael. Yeah. So obviously, uh, Swanee stuff would be available through his website or. Or, or the likes for overseas listeners to um, to uh, yeah his, his website is excellent it's got it's I think it's got nearly his whole back catalogue that you can actually download it's it's pretty good nice so I'm going to talk about an artist that uh, both Dave and I are completely enamoured with and it's uh, Mr Dan Warner he has a new album called Fall Into the Sky. The father eats him nursery rhymes Leaves them unexplained The sun remembers how to shine The sky's forgotten how to rain Mother tells him, be a man there's no need to cry The sky's forgotten how to rain Yeah, the, the album, speaking as we were off air about Monty Python, it looks like the scene uh, from How Not To Be Seen. <laughs> you were saying to me at work last week, you were saying, oh, we're going to make a reference and you're going to get one. <laughs> yes, okay, fair point. The front, the, the front cover of the album, yeah, fair enough. Um, Except there are five bushes, not three. Yeah, okay, let's, let's not get Dan. Uh, it's still probably the middle one. <laughs> so Dan Warner, for those who came in late, or for those of you living outside of Melbourne, Dan was um, probably most famous in Melbourne for having been in a band called the Warner Brothers. Now, the, um, the film companies or record company did not have a sense of humour and apparently Warner Brothers actually threatened the Marx Brothers all those years ago for using, um, uh, calling their film A Night in Casablanca uh, and um, you know, Groucho went and wrote a very sarcastic letter to them saying oh, it might not have occurred to you that in fact Casablanca existed before the movie, are you going to sue us for calling ourselves the Marx Brothers because you had the name the, uh, the Warner Brothers before we were the Marx Brothers but um, anyway I digress, so uh, the Warner Brothers had to change their name to uh, Overnight Jones. And um, I'm not sure exactly how well-known they got outside of Melbourne. They were, uh, they were most... The name rings a bell for me, but I can't say I know a tune. Well, their, their most famous song, I think, arguably, was a tune called Stuck in Melbourne. And um, I'd be uh, pretty surprised if Dan was still not doing that. They changed their name, as I said, to uh, Overnight Jones and uh, recorded uh, an album under that title uh, called Ice Bait Gas, uh, 
Uh, I, I remember actually sort of you know, seeing them a handful of times back in the you know the 80s and maybe the early 90s, I think, uh, around the pubs. And I remember, I think probably the biggest deal was that I saw them once as a support at the Melbourne Concert Hall for Michelle Shocked. And, um, you know, I was just, yeah, really big fan. So I hadn't heard any of their stuff for many years. I mean, I know that Dan Warner had actually gone and um, played in a number of duos. He's big in the duo scene. So, like, he played uh, with a fellow called Al McGuinness. Uh, so as Dan and Al for many years they had like I think about two or three really really long residencies in Melbourne like running five six seven years apiece yeah there, there was an eight year one at the Punters Club in Fitzroy right. and a five year one at the Corner Hotel in Richmond right uh, so the Great Britain Hotel as well yeah not as long as as the two at the Punters and Corner okay okay but um, anyway, so Dan's done that. He was also um, on. He's, he's been for years, still is on Triple R program called the JVG Radio Method, which is basically a thematic type of show for those of you living outside of Melbourne. Uh, basically, uh, JVG Johnny Von Goes will uh, announce a theme, and he'll play only songs on that program to do with that theme, and he'll get uh, Dan Warner to come in every week doing a segment called Warner Corner. And Dan will have to play a song live according to whatever the theme of the week may be. And he occasionally goes and puts something up on Facebook saying, I've got to do a song this week covering rain. What say you, listeners? What song should I should I play? And it's quite impressive. He's, he's a bit of a walking jukebox, is Dan Warner, because he, he knows lots and lots and lots of songs. And he does plenty and plenty of covers, but he's a really, really fine songwriter. As his own um, albums with uh, the Warner Brothers, Overnight Jones, the Dan and Al stuff, and now his solo albums will attest to. Um, and so where he came back musically into my life was one of the stations in Melbourne, one of the railway stations, uh, Parliament Station, where I get out of a morning, or well, some mornings anyway, to go to work, and uh, as does Dave. And over the years, on and off, depending on how much other work he has, Dan and another fellow called Dave Evans who uh, plays in a band called uh, The Men Who... And, yeah. The, the Band Who Knew Too Much or The Men Who Knew Too Much? I think The Band... Band the, Who Knew Too Much. The Band Who Knew Too Much. And that's, a, that's the best name. That's a great band name. It is a great band name. Uh, Dave <laughs> Dave is a, uh, a great singer and um, a squeeze box player. And Dan uh, uh, is very adept at uh, the, you know, the acoustic rhythm guitar thing. And the two of them just play every morning. As I said, a walking jukebox. And they play you know, everything. You know, Neil Young, Dylan. What else? What else? Help me out, Dave. They play a stack of Beatles. Yeah, they play. But, I mean, look, it, it might sound like you know, your typical busking sort of stuff. But they do it just so damn well. And their harmonies are absolutely on point so you know it's just an absolute joy to watch them every morning so anyway cut to the album that i want to talk about uh so dan i think this i'm not sure if this is album like just in his own name album number four i think i might be wrong but uh this is an album called fall into the sky and many of these songs they're really really evocative there's nothing here that's going to raise your pulse it's not a it's not an album that's um very very rocky or very fast and there's nothing in any sort of fast tempo but these are absolutely beautiful very laid back and very personal sort of songs and, and a, there's a few of the songs that remind me of other really classic songwriters so uh, there's a song in it called uh, the I idea of liza so long, so long, so long 
Every possibility, ideas of lies Caught her in my tightest wave, my eye despised Now she'll never really want to leave She will surely ever want to be has this very haunting Elliot Smith feel to me. I truly think that's what he was going for, certainly in terms of production and that sort of like uh, very low strings of the guitar, percussive, but very rhythmic sort of thing that you might hear on some of the early Elliot Smith albums. There's a song called uh, Walking With My Sister, which due to it, it's very... Very, very playful, I thought. Yeah, that's exactly the word I was going to use, very playful very straight ahead type of uh, lyric which reminds me so much of Loudon Wainwright III and there's a couple of tunes here that I'd absolutely love to hear in the hands of uh, Glenn Hansard there's uh, a song called The Sun Remembers How to Shine and it just has that uh, same level of uh, fragility that Glenn Hansard always exhibits with uh, the frames it's just absolutely beautiful but very tender and very fragile sort of stuff very introspective songwriting uh, but it's it's not just a songwriting here it's his, his uh there, there's something just so wonderful about his voice it's you know he doesn't have to sort of go proving anything by singing into upper registers or showing anything with power it's just a very personable very introspective sort of voice and you listen to his songs and you believe him. You really believe what he's uh, what he's singing about. And he's another really fine addition to you know, Melbourne's long line of great storytelling songwriters. So yeah, like the the title track "Fall Into the Sky" reminded me very much of a Dylan type uh, sound and attitude. And yeah, he, he is just a fantastic storyteller. Yeah, no, he certainly is. And I, I just think it's you know you you and I are really so lucky. Don't oh, wish. That we can, we, we are. We we just we go we go uh, out of the station, and before we go to work, we both can you know hang around for you know ten fifteen minutes and listen to them uh, play a few tunes, and it's it's just an absolute joy. And I I have to say, like a few weeks ago, I said to uh, Dan, and I'd sort of been bucking him about this, you know, like months ago. I said, look, could you learn Richard Clapton's? The best years of our lives, and the, you know, he's only just come back to playing outside the station after a few months uh, hiatus. And I said, oh, did you ever learn that song? And he said, oh, hang on. And he starts playing the chords, can't remember all the words. So I, I start singing with them before going into work and just sort of singing harmony with Dan and Dave. It's just such a brilliant way to start the day. So um, I really out there, if, if you've uh, been listening to the music that we've been playing in the background from this album and uh, you like it, please go and support Dan. You can get his album from danwarner.com.au or danwarner.bandcamp.com and I think there's links there to his uh, previous albums. I think one called Night Parrot, which well, might have to be the next one that I go and obtain. But uh, this is an absolutely cracker of an album. So um, there you go. That's uh, our first round of recommendations for you. Before we go into our next round, what we'll do is we'll uh, hear what Eric Reanimator has to say in his album I Love segment. And as I mentioned at the start of the show, he's gone and picked a couple of uh, Australian albums that he likes that uh, he wanted to contribute to this show so we'll be back after eric has uh, 
had his say. We'll be back shortly. You're listening to Love That Album, episode 73, with myself, Michael Persh, and Dave Blom. Take it away, Eric, the orchestra leader. A one, two, a one, two, three, four. Now it's time for an album I love with Eric Reanimator. here this time around as Morris and his crew are going to be talking about three Australian albums that they dig I am going to be talking about two and the first one is if you haven't guessed Living in the 70s by Sky Hooks this is an album that Morris turned me on to I also did pick up the follow-up album Ego is not a dirty word I can't know my copyright here make sure uh, correct me if I was wrong in that title at any rate what I dig about Sky Hooks is it's basically 70s boogie rock in the vein of Blue Oyster Cult, who I love, but it's got something to say. It's it's not just, you know, get down, make love, you know, whatever. It's, it's a critique of the time and the place, and even though I don't necessarily understand every single thing that's specific to, you know, the slang or what's being discussed, I can get the gist of they are singing at an audience and telling them, hey, whatever happened to the revolution? And, you know, why do we have this horror scene on our television every night? And, you know, what's weird about us living in this decade the way we're living? Better, but more than that, you know, these are just great songs. You know, they, they definitely are all the time in a place. They don't sound particularly heavy to modern ears, but they don't need to because this is what they were at the time you know this is not heavy metal this is not punk rock but in some ways it's got elements of both this is not singer songwriter this is not you know proto-punk but there's elements of of both of those kinds of things going on here so so that is what i hear and i am sure the fellas are going to be talking about this record some so i don't need to go into it in any depth just gonna uh play a little bit more of another one of their songs and we come back and we'll be talking about another australian album that i quite enjoy we have to stay tuned to hear what that is. Yeah. 
So here's something we don't get into a lot here on Love That Album, and that's 80s synth pop. Yes, we went from living in the 70s to living in the 80s. This is Man of Colors by the band Ice House, who were one of those alternative synth pop bands that got imported to the U.S., had one big hit and promptly vanished. Although, if you take a look at their discography, you'll notice that they did have many, many other albums and um, one would presume a career back home. So, what do I like about this album? Yes, it's too clean. It's very much a blue-eyed soul synth, you know, manufactured. All that stuff that you're supposed to hate about Duran Duran and all of that. But, you know, once upon a time, I was a teenager. And once upon a time, I sat in a beat-up blue Ford Escort with my best friend. And he put this album in the cassette player. And we drove around town. And we listened to this over and over and over. And that counts for something in this world. I think we all have to admit that. You know, you listen to the songs that made you feel something as a teenager. And if you're a jaded 40-something like I am, you know, it takes you back to a different time. Now, the songs here, I think uh, they still hold up. I think that they're great. I think that I would love to hear... You know, a slightly remixed, dirtied up version of a lot of these things. But then again, maybe not. Maybe some live tracks would be great. Yes, this is very like U2, not quite, you know, then current in excess, maybe earlier in excess sounding synth pop. And, you know, if it's not your cup of tea, I understand that. But it's an album that I love and that I dig. And uh, I'm not going to carry on too much about it. I think you probably all heard Electric Blue, which was the big single off of this. That's worth a listen for more than just the one-hit wonder status. But the song on here that I really dig is this one. And I really, really wish someone like Nico Case or Elin Jewell would cover it. This is Heartbreak Kid. This has been Eric Ramader, and I'll catch you all next time.
And we're back. Morris here, Michael over there, Dave, not quite over there, but halfway between here and there. You're listening to episode 73 of Love That Album, the um, sort of the, the bite-sized edition, if you want to call it that. We're, we're doing bite-sized descriptions of uh, Australian albums, current, old, just things that we think that you need to know about if you've uh, not dug these albums before. Or even if you are fans of the album, please write in and tell us all about it. I'll uh, give you the contact details at the end of the show. But, uh, yeah, thanks very much, Eric, for contributing. So how did you feel, Michael, hearing uh, Eric talk about possibly your favourite album of all time, Living in the 70s? Yeah, really interesting. I, I've never heard it or even thought of comparing it to uh, to Blue Oyster Cult, but I found that really interesting. But, <laughs> yeah, but I, and I, I, I like Blue Oyster Cult, and I've, I've sort of never put the two together. But I, I found it really interesting that... Um, that Eric sort of picked up lyrically on on living in the seventies, and and when you th- we don't really appreciate how many Australianisms there is in that album that would make no sense to anyone else. So I found it really interesting that he that he sort of managed to get past that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you have to wonder what anyone outside of Australia, maybe even anyone outside of Melbourne, is thinking about a story about a guy who walks into a cinema with a twisties packet and has got other intentions on his mind besides merely just eating the twisties. You've got to admit it's an original song idea. <laughs> it is It is an original song idea. And here's the thing. It's just so fascinating to hear every morning on Radio 774 ABC here in Melbourne, Red Simons has been doing his radio show for years. And, you know, he's still a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, I don't know, smart aleck, clown, whatever you want to call him. You're listening to him in the morning and you're thinking there you go thinking you're all respectable talking on the abc but i still remember you as a guy who wrote smut so, so. <laughs> but you've got, you've got to remember too with, with a guy like me when i i was sort of 13 when that came out and and places like turak and carlton and Baldwin to me were as exotic as memphis or or london or whatever so it was it was very weird well that's the incredible thing because uh, they've often been spoke about as being one of the first, if not the very first band that decided we're going to sing about our own locale. I mean, you know, you mentioned, you know, Memphis, Tennessee, you know, because Chuck Berry went and wrote about Memphis and, you know, Lord knows how many American artists uh, had gone and written songs about their own locale. And, you know, that's, that's wonderful. But, you know, now it's almost a common thing. You know, you've got, you know, Paul Kelly writing, who's written plenty of stuff about, uh, Melbourne or, you know, unfortunately for you about Adelaide, not necessarily in a very praiseworthy light. No, uh, no we'll give that one a miss. We'll give that one a miss. But uh, <laughs> yeah, Michael Thomas writing about um, Australian locales. And it's just gotten to be such a very, very common thing. But it's amazing to think that Skyhooks were, if not the very first, but they were certainly close to being the first. But they, you know, <laughs> and on an album like that, which really, like, everyone of our generation owned a copy of uh, living in the 70s and ego's not a dirty word so indeed so, yeah and really interesting to hear a, a perspective from uh, from overseas mm, indeed so uh, i i really do imagine that uh, you and i will have to uh, cover that on a later love that album. maybe we'll make that show 100 because that's such a special album we'll do it for, cool. a, for a milestone or some milestone yeah. program somewhere down the track i think all right but anyway so eric's uh talked about living in the 70s and the ice house album so uh hope you uh, listeners out there dig on those and uh follow up eric's recommendations but uh, now we're here for round two of the three of us so dave your second album of the program yeah it's the debut album from the shepherd and band called augie mark 
much and this album is called Sunset Studies. There is no such place Oh yes, I have seen it too Just a little different from I do A river winding blue along the dunes And a marble bay and a sun that doesn't set but settles There is no such place if I lower mine to yours, might you kiss me on the face? If you're looking for an unmarked place, and it's a magnificent 76-minute-long opus, um, full of at times self-indulgent tracks, but thrown in with some absolutely amazing musicianship and songwriting, um, storytelling. Very much a, a fantastic, I suppose, indie pop rock band, Holby March have been, and uh, they're one of the few bands that like to dabble in pretty much every single time signature that they can find under the sun. Right. I was just going to say, so the tunes that you sent me to play over uh, this episode were really, really gorgeous and very, very appealing, but i got to say that when they were sort of like around in their heyday, I really didn't take much of an interest. I'd heard a couple of things and thought, eh, you know, not so great, but the tunes that you've sent me are absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, well, I suppose when you write 76 minutes worth of album, you, yep. can, you can write 40, 45 minutes worth of brilliant material. And there is, I suppose, in this album, there is that sort of 20, 25 minutes worth of, well, I'll just skip to the next song mm, type mm. thing. But being so prolific and so detailed in terms of how much material they put on an album, yep. it, it really does give you so much good material to work with. So would you have been able to sort of like cut down, uh, like could you identify you know, that there were a number of dud tracks that you make that you think would make a really strong 40 minute album because I know that there's a lot of people who say that just because you can fit 80 minutes worth of music on a single CD doesn't mean that you should and there's a convincing argument for that I guess yeah I'd, I'd say so um, there, there are a few tracks that yeah I just sort of went yeah hit next every time pretty much so um, you know I'm not too enamoured by the likes of The Offer or The Good Gardener on how he fell but uh, tracks like Here Comes the Night and There's No Such Place, Marunda Reservoir are just absolutely phenomenal tracks and just so worth listening to. Mm. And uh, I suppose the most famous track from this album, Asleep in Perfection, is just one of the, the greatest Australian tracks ever written. Still 
Big call. Big call. Even even better than smut. Yeah, definitely better than smut. Ah, oh, red silence well, if you're listening. Well, I reckon uh, it could definitely lay claim to the best song written in three four. Okay, all right. The, the nicest waltz. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> Uh, so, how much, how, or how many times have you seen them live? I've seen them live oh, about 10, 15 times, and wow. they're, they're a band that are absolutely amazing one minute and absolutely frustrating the next, or vice versa. And you can have times within shows where there are glitches, um, yet I've seen them roll out a perfect show, and it's just the most amazing experience when they get everything right all right so uh, any any of their other albums so this one was sunset studies now i, I believe that the one that um, really sort of burst them onto the scene in a, a big sort of way was it's called the wonderful title of moo you bloody choir yes moo you bloody choir definitely their biggest um selling album most famous for the song uh, one crowded hour yep which uh topped the triple j hottest 100 so definitely worth the running your ears over that song and yeah, it's, even i remember that one yeah but it's interesting how uh glenn richards tends not to like to play that song or um asleep in perfection anymore because he doesn't feel like he's in that sort of frame of mind and he doesn't know what he was writing about at the time now, so, so so they've, they've got something new out they had a hiatus for a while didn't they or are they, are yeah. they a going concern again yeah, they they had about a five-year hiatus, and um, yeah, they're they're back in action again. And um, they've had a, a new album called Haven's Dumb, which was released late last year. And there is uh, one track called I think it's A Dog Starved, and it just has the most amazing George Harrison all um, all shall pass um, type sound to it. Things must pass. Oh. Yeah. Right. So now you've now you've raised my interest. That's it. Okay. I'm gonna have to search it. And, and there's a Glenn, Glenn had a solo album called Glimjack. Is that right? Yeah. I, I think you might be right. Does... I, I, so, yeah. I really like that. And I actually discovered his solo career and went back and sort of listened to um and Watch Me Disappear was another great album. And I, the more I went back and listened to it, the more I liked all them. They are just very much a grow-on-your-type sound. And yeah, very much. I, I suppose it took me a few efforts initially um, listening to them when they were first played on Triple R, Triple J, to, to actually get into the sound. But, gee, once you give it, give it a couple of lessons, boy, it does grow upon you. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks very much for that, Dave. Uh, we'll go now to Michael, your next pick for the evening. Well, my next one, I'm going way, way back in time to the 60s, and it's it's uh, the uh, the Master's Apprentices and, and an album called Choice Cuts. <laughs> Children laugh as she spins 
so the Masters Apprentices, when I was a kid, and I'm talking pre-teenager, were were just just at the end of, of their time, and and Jim Keys, the, the singer, was his solo career was sort of starting off. But they would he was just god in Australia. And I remember watching, you know, those Saturday afternoon pop shows on TV, and he was just an absolute god and I I realised sort of many years after that he was from Adelaide and that really sort of blew my mind I didn't think mm. you know pop stars can come from Adelaide it was like wow <laughs> and then the further you looked into it you realised that probably absolutely everyone you ever loved came from Adelaide well not quite but it, it was it was quite a a eureka sort of moment it was you know when you when you're sort of 11 years old it's like oh well i thought everyone came from sydney or or melbourne or england that was very weird indeed but but anyway i got i, I had the and and jim passed away maybe two years ago um, what's that and, maybe just last year i think it was last year was it last? Yeah, yeah, yeah last yeah. year okay and, and and i know you've read his biography uh morris and it, it's it's a great story he he just you know, he was just such a, you know, the the rock star of, of the '60s of, of the age, and it's um, yeah, I found it one of the, you know, I know I love a rock biography, and it's, it's probably one of the best biographies I think I've ever written, read, read, sorry, especially from an Australian artist. Mm-hmm. I think um, I, over the years I used to listen to a, a fair bit of a, another program here on Triple R called the Party Show, which um, has been on for like. <laughs> Uh, no, 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 no. Um, Headley, Headley Gritter, Leaping, Leaping Larry. What one did he do? He did. Oh, I've forgotten the name. It was the Arriba. No, I can't remember what that was called. Anyway, but no, yeah. the, the, the party show has been on for like I don't know, 25, 30 years or something like that. Every Saturday night at midnight on um, on Triple R, and from time to time, uh, they had Jim Keys on as a special guest, and like he'd just sort of be sitting there, and you know they'd have a they'd have a few beers and. Uh, just discuss, you know, the days of the Masters Apprentices. And it was, I just found him to be, sound like such a really lovely, charming sort of guy. I mean, there he was, like, you're listening, he had a, he had a voice that could absolutely shred, he had an incredible rock and roll voice. And then you just sort of like, listen to this guy, and he just sounds like one of the nicest, most charming people out there. <laughs> But gold prevails Colored ships with silver sails Floating in my mind And silver shackles bind With phosphorescent twine Elevator driver, carry me please Elevator driver, move A couple of years ago, um, when I think it was Davey Lane said, oh, I think it was Davey Lane, wasn't it? Who, who went and produced his album Dirty Dirty yeah, and it was it was just I mean I, it was at the stage where Jim Keys was undergoing uh, was it chemo I think he was undergoing a lot of really bad treatment for he was very very ill very very in a bad way and um, still Davy Lane managed to get the best out of him uh, for this album uh, Dirty Dirty and we, you know once again we're talking about someone who was singing better than he ever did and. You know, for for a man, it's all the more impressive for G, Jim Keys for a man in his condition. But um, 
tell us a bit more about choice cuts because I'm, I'm more familiar with like the singles and stuff. But uh, yeah, and, and and just but dirty, dirty. If people haven't sort of chased that album up, it is back to that original sound, and it's such a good album. Davey Lane really did pull something out of Jim Keys, and thank thank goody, goodness he did. He's, it's it's a it's a beautiful thing indeed. And well, Choice Cuts was the album that the the band made in London back in those days. If anyone can remember back to the 60s, and I only just can, there was the Hoadley's Battle of the Bands in Australia. Mm. So it, it was this really lame band competition, and, and from what I've read in, in past years, it, it was totally rigged, and, and, you know, so, you know, they had all these competitions around. I guess it was a, a precursor of Idol or something like that, that they'd have... Expect um, yeah, that's right. They'd have they'd have state championships and all this sort of rubbish and, and end up with... Um, with bands from all around the country, and the the winner would win a boat trip to to London because you didn't fly back in those days. You went you went by sea and um, record in Abbey Road. So Choice Cuts was recorded in Abbey Road, and um, and I had the the really great fortune when Dirty Dirty came out of, of having a chat with Jim Keys, and and we spoke about uh, Choice Cuts a lot. And he, he still said he said that he still you know loved that album and it meant so much to the masters, not just the fact that it was made in London and, and in Abbey Road, but he said it just captured the time and captured where the band was at and it just was this lovely snapshot in time. But he, he did he did share some brilliant stories with me. The the one of the ones was he, um, the Beatles were recording in Abbey Road at the same time that the Masters were in there and, and Jim Keyes just happened to go to the, the bathroom and um, was standing at the urinal doing his thing and that turned around to look at John Lennon, which would be a very surreal experience, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think it would be a very surreal experience, but it goes to show that we all piss at the same urinals. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. They got to play on the white piano on Because yeah. I Love You. And just yeah. on that just on that boat trip over, apparently uh, the deck that they were playing on uh, they were playing to a crowd of about one each night because they'd play 20-minute long, as loud as they could, versions of Spoonful. Ah, good. <laughs> I, I see, that, that's another interesting thing to sort of bring up is that, you know, the Masters Apprentices, they sort of like started out like a lot of bands, you know, not just from Australia, but certainly a lot of bands in England were, were very blues influenced. And then, you know, as the 60s rolled on, they turned into something very different. Isn't that right? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. Their early recordings were were all, yeah, blues covers and, and Chuck Berry sort of covers and uh, very much sort of a, a similar path to the Rolling Stones. Very and, much. And, and Choice Cuts was sort of their their beggar's banquet sort of moment, maybe. Nice, nice. Uh, you, I mean, you, you can't imagine that um, uh, Turn Up Your Radio and Because I Love You came from the same band. No, in, true indeed. And and, and just the, the one story I just wanted to share as well, that, that uh, as I mentioned, the, the guys went via, via a ship uh, and via the Panama Canal back in those days and uh, one, one of the and I think it's an iconic sort of Australian rock story but the, they they decided to, to jump um, off the boat in Panama and try and score some of the local um, the local weed and got um, in all sorts of trouble and uh, got arrested and just it's a fantastic story and um, yeah if, if any, I don't think Jim's book is still in print but if you can grab a copy it's it's one of the funniest sequences you will ever read so 
getting back to um, Troy's cut, so what is it that you really, really love about this? Is it, is it uh, you know, the progression from the early blues roots? I mean, wh what is it that really attracts you to Troy's cut? And actually, sorry, the other question I have is, is this one of the albums that sort of ended up on um, the Aztec re-releases? I think so. I think, um, but I'm not sure if that, how readily available they still are. I'm, I'm really not sure. I haven't been onto their website for a long time, and um, I hope it's still available. But mm. yeah, for me, it just it just captures. I, I think the band in their heyday. The the band went through so many different phases, and and like you said, they they progressed and changed so much. But it's and the, and the album sounds of its time. It's it's certainly it's certainly dated, but in a nice way. It just it just it's like a opening a scrapbook or a photo album from. 67 or whenever it was 68 and it just yeah you just instantly transported back into that time and that's that's what i really like about it but again it's just a, a lovely piece of history as well nice all right i hope that uh, is available for uh, the listeners out there either on uh, physical media or or some sort of uh, legitimate download uh search it out masters apprentices choice cuts and if you can't get hold of that then um, there are quite a number of good anthologies out yeah, there. Yeah, the Hands of Time one. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's um, was that had on? Uh, was that a Raven Records compilation? I'm trying to think. Yeah. Uh, so some uh, some really uh, choice cuts there, even if it's not choice cuts. All right. So we'll now go around to uh, my second album, and this is another Melbourne group. This is uh, basically the latest album from. Uh, I, I guess you'd call them something of a super group. Uh, the group is called Three Kings. Maybe in the morning you're rocking shoes. And I'm gonna rock away. Ian Collard has been the frontman for uh, Collard Greens and Gravy, and Benny Peters has been the guitarist for a group called Benny and the Fly-By-Nighters band, which more, I guess, takes its cue from uh, Jump Blues. Collard Greens and Gravy was uh, more influenced, I guess, by the Chicago sound, so guys like Little Walter and Muddy Waters and Slim Harper were more on their radar. Now, uh, the only guy who I sort of can't work out their drummer, uh, Jason... Uh, Luson, I'm not sure what his background is, but he's a mighty, mighty fine player. And uh, so they're, they're a bassless trio. So you've got uh, Ian and Benny who are both playing guitars, and Ian also sort of uh, doubling up on the harmonica, which is really what he's famous for. I used to go see uh, Collie Greens and Gravy quite a lot. Uh, and I think as I recall the first time I was on the blues train at uh, the Queenscliff Music Festival. It must have been about uh, 14, 15 years ago. And I used to take my son Max to see them quite a lot. He sort of became something of a mascot to the band. They were always getting used to me uh, bringing Max in to, uh, uh, to their gigs. So I hadn't really heard much out of the Collard Greens and Gravy camp, although apparently there are still a going concern. But I know Ian was still uh, doing a whole bunch of projects uh, and some stuff with his uh, wife, Susanna Espy, who's also a really, really fine singer-songwriter in her own right. I saw her last year at the Caravan Club as a support act for Don Walker, as an aside. So search out Susanna Espy, also worth your time. Uh, Ian Collard and Three Kings. I was really, really excited to see that band Three Kings was a going concern. And this is actually their second album. It's called Here It Is. Here It Is. 
heard it first while walking into uh, basement discs one day, though I'm sure they've had uh, plenty of airplay on uh, any of the number of the blues shows on Triple uh, R or PBS here in Melbourne. And whereas, you know, like Collard Greens and Gravy always struck me as a, a band that you would drink to, Three Kings is more of a band that you would dance to. You just sort of imagine something like in a really out-of-the-way sort of juke joint in uh, some back road, and I'm, I'm dying to go see them play live. I've, I've had this album now for maybe about four weeks or so, so I'm going to keep a look out to see when they're going to be doing some uh, live gigs on the traps around Melbourne. They're 100% they'll be uh, doing something around the corner soon. But this album has very much of a Sun Records feel to it, and uh, you know, unlike uh, Anthony Short of uh, Collard Greens and Gravy, who played this very strange sort of assembled kit, and I mean, I loved his kit, but it's not a conventional drum kit, but Jason Lewson is uh, playing a fairly conventional sort of drum kit uh, and very up-tempo very very high energy the album o- opens with a, a high energy track called uh, mean things <laughs> It's interesting that the you know, majority of these are uh, self-written, though there are a few covers. And the album continues in a fairly high-energy vein uh, until we get to the last track on the album called King's Lament, which sounds like a fairly end-of-the-night type of uh, last call for alcohol type of uh, instrumental. And the song wouldn't have actually sounded out of place in uh, a film that we discussed on the See Here podcast a little while ago called Mystery Train. In between those uh, bookends, you have uh, songs like uh, Rocking This Joint, and Voodoo Girl. So, you know, with titles like that, you pretty much know what it is that you're getting into. You know, you've got uh, you know, great harmonica, exciting rock and roll drumming, guitar playing that's gritty without any sort of over-the-top heroics, and some uh, solid 50s vocal reverb like you'd hear on those old Sun records. So really, the best thing I can say is, you know, search out Three Kings. Here it is. Uh, I haven't seen if it's on Bandcamp as a download, but I'm pretty sure you can order it as a physical media. I mean, nowadays everything's available to download, so check that out. Three Kings. Here it is. And uh, if you like Sun Records music, uh, of the 50s and um, you do yourself well to search this band out and I mean look I guess it could be argued that every major town in the world that you know has blues bands has got bands that sound like this so but I, I like to sort of think that Melbourne is a really really great blues city and there are there are bands that you know can play their blues and it sounds a little bit ordinary but Three Kings are a bona fide, really, really exciting band. And probably point of note is that uh, they just recently uh, entered into the Memphis International Blues Challenge, got as far as the semi-finals. They didn't win the competition overall, but that's probably because uh, the Yanks, uh, you know, they're, they're trying to keep the top spot for themselves. But, you know, they know that three kings were probably kings of the uh, Memphis uh, or of the international blues scene, I should say. So good on you guys for um, for getting that far. And uh, next year, maybe you'll enter again and 
uh, you'll show them what it's all about and uh, they'll just have to uh, give you the top spot. That's what I think anyway. All right, anyway, so we've got three more albums to cover between the three of us, but what we'll do is we'll go for a, a quick break have a little bit of a, a podcasting advert, and then um, we'll come back to talk about one more album each, one more Australian album each that uh, we think that you need to be aware of, uh, whether you're local or whether you're overseas. And as I said, all of these albums, or most of these albums, if not all, should be available either orderable as physical media or as downloads. So um, go search them out if you've been liking what you've been hearing us talk about or you've been liking the music clips you've been hearing but we'll be back in a couple of moments you're listening to Love That Album episode 73 Hey all you podcast listeners here's an update See here We know some of that bad brown bass that has been going around but we've got an alternative See here Have these headphones here throw them on See here, movies for your mind. See here. See here podcast. We discuss music-related films once a month. Find us on iTunes or at See Here. That's S E E H E A R. dot Podbean. dot com. Just relax, listen, and float downstream. See here. Hey, this is Scott of Married with Clickers. Tune in to hear my wife Kat and me discuss all sorts of movies. We'll cover everything from The Lost Weekend to Weekend at Bernie's. From The Big Sleep to Big Mama's House. Well, maybe not Big Mama's House. And the great thing about Kat is that she's not afraid to speak her mind. And would you be surprised to hear he was nominated for Best Actor that year? For that film? For that film. But don't take my word for it. Just listen to what the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema has to say about our show. It's a husband and wife show, and they discuss movies and stuff. Yeah, a very wife-husband show. High praise indeed. So come find us at marriedwithclickers.libson.com. It will save your life. Or maybe just help you kill an hour. And we're back from break. Morris, Michael, Dave, we're all discussing great Australian albums, either new or old, but they're all loved, all well-loved, and hopefully all easily obtainable in case you've been digging on what you've been hearing us talk about. Just, you know, sort of mini-bites. We're not doing the full 45, 50-minute drone on and on, which is really the purpose of this show. But, uh, uh, you know, for this time around, we just thought we'd keep them short and punchy and sweet and just enough information to hopefully raise your interest about some albums that we really dig that we think you need to dig into. And I, I might try and sort of put a show together like this uh, once every few shows. It'd you know, just be nice to keep something short and sweet and uh, hopefully you'll dig on it. All right. So uh, round three, Dave, your final album for the for the night. Yeah, I could have picked any one of uh, this band's uh, four albums. I've decided to go with the second album from this band, and the band is called Rocket Science, and the album is called Contact High.
Rocket Science were formed in the late 90s and they were formed as a result of, I suppose, um, band that the bass player was in, uh, Dave Gray. He was in a band called The Freeloaders and they disbanded after their lead singer overdosed on heroin. And um, Roman Tucker, who was in Royal Flush with Tim Hemmonsley, who later went on to God and the Powder Monkeys. He was in a band called The Martians, who played at, um, at the, um, I suppose, Wake, uh, which was called uh, Lucas Aid. And he brought in his mate Kit Warhurst on drums, uh, Kit who played with Manic Suede, Merrick and Rosso, uh, the Velvet Tongue Puppet Rock Experience with Roman, and uh, Spoonful. So quite a bit of Melbourne rock royalty mm. and uh, guys who played sort of the Fitzroy, Collingwood, St Kilda scene. And they've released four albums thus far. They went on hiatus for about uh, six years, but hopefully they've... Uh, sort of reformed and played a few gigs and hopefully there'll be a bit more material coming out soon. Now, when you told me that you were going to be uh, covering Rocket Science for this show and gave me the CDs to have a bit of a listen to, I had to kick myself because I thought, why was I not into them in their day? Like, you know, when they were reasonably popular on the Melbourne scene because, you know, this the garage sound it's so completely up my alley and i don't know why i didn't dig onto them probably because i was still listening to more of the americana stuff that i was listening to but no they are now so completely up my alley and my little tiny connection with um, with rocket science and admittedly it's very tiny was the episode of rock Wiz that uh, i appeared on uh, Roman Tucker was the uh, the rock guru on the uh, opposing team. I had Renee Geyer, the other team had Roman Tucker. Um, I'll leave it to you to guess which team I really wanted to be on uh, in, in retrospect. <laughs> there you go. But anyway, so talk talk to us a little bit more about uh, Contact High. Well, I think Contact High really did represent sort of the band's highest spot in terms of their popularity and in terms of really good songwriting um however this album i think they might have overthought it compared to their other three which were very much turn up at the recording studio or in the case of their debut album uh, they've even included a track from their very first jam session whereas with contact high they had a bit more time to develop the album and so they got the pound system to mix it and it probably scrubbed away a lot of the dirty edges to the sound and it's very noticeable that there's just something missing in terms of the hard rocking feel but it's obviously but, something that still appeals to you because that's the album that you've chosen to uh, to discuss this time around so but the yeah the the album's so strong the songs are so good and the live experience was just so fantastic that this album really does still sit as one of my favorites to get out and listen to
for the listeners you know, who might not be uh, familiar with Rocket Science and, and their uh, back catalogue, name can you name a couple of bands who you would say who they're sort of closest in feel to? Oh, very much so. Um, the Crimson Shadows, which was mentioned on a previous uh, Love That Album episode. Mm-hmm. When I heard Even I Tell Lies, I just thought that sounds almost exactly like Rocket Science's Burn in Hell. Yep. And there's very much uh, 13th floor elevators, electric prunes, a lot of sort of 60s garage type sound to it. Yep, uh, they, they certainly would have been uh, big fans of Nuggets. Yes, extremely so. And I, I guess that comes from the organ that Roman plays. He plays a Yamaha YC45D, which is um, one of um, the last sort of electone organs that had a portamento ribbon on it and that's used quite a fair bit in their debut album welcome aboard the 3c10 and the other thing that roman plays is the theremin <laughs> you gotta love that i love the theremin so <laughs> either of you guys ever you know in your early days with electronics you know go and build your own home theremin from a dick smith kit or something no but i've certainly seen a band use one and it's the coolest thing I remember going to see um, Elvis Costello and the Imposters. Um, what was the name of the album? I've forgotten. Um, it was a, the the first one after Bruce Thomas was kicked out or left. On on that tour, Steve Naive was playing a theremin, and it was just you know, hypnotic to watch him doing doing what he was doing with his left hand the whole night. You know, trying to get those weird sounds that he did. No, yep, you got you got to buy an album from a band that uses a theremin just because it has a theremin. That's my opinion. Uh, either, either that or you've got to see them live. Even better. And, yeah, um, the, the first time that I saw Rocket Science live, they were supporting Snout at the Evelyn. Okay. Back in, back in about 98. And um, I'd been familiar with uh, Kip Warhurst on drums and guitars before in his previous bands. And he said, have a listen to, to this mob go. And, oh, I was just absolutely blown away and just the image of Roman Tucker playing his theremin and really playing the theremin like he meant it mm-hmm. nice so um, it was I was gonna say is the album easily still uh, available or, or yeah yeah the album's still available online it can be uh, I think even bought in good or bad record stores oh fantastic, fantastic. and yeah their, their entire back catalogue, well worth a listen. Fantastic. All right. Okay. Uh, Michael, your final album for the night. Well, my last one, without, well, hopefully it's not too obvious, but it, again, I'm, I'm trying to, to sort of aim for something interesting for your, for your listeners overseas, and it's the, the first Cold Chisel album, which I guess is, is no stranger to most of us in Australia. We 
ever hear Kaysan again, it's probably way too soon. But <laughs> for me, and 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 I guess I guess a lot of your, um, your listeners in the states will be familiar with Jimmy Barnes. He, he's he's reasonably well known for. I guess from back when he was um, mucking around with Jonathan Kane from Journey, and and he was apparently you know shortlisted to uh, to replace David Lee Roth and Van Halen. So you know his, his name's reasonably well known. But but the first Cold Chisel album way back in '78 was, and I and I know you agree with me, Morris. It was it's just the most beautiful album. It's it shows how diverse Cold Chisel were. They're not anymore, uh, and not, nothing against what the, what they do now, but. It's just, it's just such a diverse album. No, I, I was just going to say, I think because we were speaking the other day about this, and I, I don't know if it's apocryphal, but I remember reading something that had said that Rolling Stone magazine had made the most stupid review of the first Cold Chisel album, saying, we don't know, this band can't make it up its mind whether it wants to be Ray Charles or whether it wants to be Led Zeppelin. And nowadays we'd sort of think, well, why the hell can't you be both? You know, it's absolutely stupid. I mean, yeah, they, absolutely. They, one of the songs that uh, you recommended that we play for the show, Daskazine, it definitely has that sort of crunching, more funk Zeppelin feel, something that would have would not have sat out of place on um, on physical graffiti, for instance. But then they... Yeah, had, absolutely. And, and Don Walker's Hammond playing in it is sensational. It is. It is. I mean, that's the thing. We always sort of think about Don Walker as uh, this great songwriter, and he is a brilliant songwriter. You know, one of the one of the most iconic songwriters that this country has ever put out. And I love Paul Kelly, but you know, really, you know, Don Walker is the Don. And um, mm. but, but, but his organ playing on that album is just something to behold. And I think he was always claiming he was scared about being thrown out of the band because you know, he often felt that he was the weakest musician in the band. So he figured, oh, I'd better write some songs to keep my ass saved. And I personally can't imagine why he'd be thrown out as a musician, but certainly his songwriting would have definitely cemented his uh, his place in the band. Absolutely. And and the album's got a really nice feel about it. The, like, like there's a, like tunes like Rosalie and um, Northbound Train have just got a lovely groove. Rosalie I have loved you From the steeple to the streets of Rome And I know, yes I know What's going down They will come when it's early As you breathe through me your last goodbye And, and again, that shows what a great drummer Steve Presswich, the late great Steve Presswich and, and Phil Small, were just such a cool rhythm section. And oh, yeah. and and the other the other tune that I sent you, just how many more, just how many times is one of the most beautiful ballads you would ever hear. Lovers see the world through an old red wine. All the sounds of the blues Will it just disappear With a light like yours Beside me It's been an old, old red wine 
I, I think it, it sounds like a Tom Waits tune. I'm not, I don't think you agree with me there, but it's. You know what? I, I, it's, it's funny because we, I think, yeah, we spoke about this as well the other day, and I think, yeah, the song could definitely work in Tom Waits' hands. I mean, it's uh, when you hear the chisel version, it doesn't sound like it comes off a Tom Waits album, but that songwriting could work in a Tom Waits arrangement, absolutely, because it does sound like the sort of thing that you hear at three o'clock in the morning in a. Uh, in, in some downtown bar, well, anywhere in the world. I was going to say Los Angeles because that's where we sort of associate Tom Waits with from uh, from his Barfly days, you know, those, those uh, Electra recordings. But but yeah, it could have worked in any bar in the world. And yeah, certainly it, it could work as a Tom Waits arrangement for sure. And, and it's sort of, I don't think Don Walker revisited that until Text On and Charlie. There's a lot of tunes on, on those albums that are sort of reminiscent of that. And, and there was, I don't recall much else in the in the Cold Chisel catalogue that, that even touches on that. Mm-hmm. I, I heard an interview with Don Walker on, uh, I think from ABC Newcastle last year. I downloaded it as a podcast and they asked him, you know, it was the white elephant in the room about his feelings about K-San. And I think he said, like, he still brings it out once in, in a while. And, you know, because, I mean, like, for, for anyone overseas, you know, K-San is a little bit like Stairway to Heaven. Overplayed, you never want to hear it again on the radio. And yet, when they played it as part of this interview, and I hadn't listened to it in many years, because, you know, I'm avoiding the golden oldies stations. And it just sort of struck me listening to the lyrics once again for the first time in many many years what a really fine song it is you know take away the fact that it's overplayed and it's golden oldie sort of thing but if you can separate yourself from all of that it's a really great lyric i mean it's you know telling telling the same story that you know bruce springsteen was trying to do in a you know more thump your fist in the air sort of way and born in the usa about a returned vietnam vet and struggling to find his place back in the society that sent him out to war in the first place. If you can take everything else away, it is a fine song, but really, One Long Day, for me, is absolutely the centerpiece of the album. And Laid by dreams, cotton dresses, a Spanish border town. Dreams so far from the subways, the crowds heading home. Close each day in technicolor, a million miles away, one long night, and you're alone. What you said before, just how many times. Um, if, if, the, if the rest of the album had had no other great tunes, it'd be worth buying for those two. But the whole album is an absolute cracker. And, and when, you, when you sort of think, I mean, a lot of bands are lucky to have one great singer. But holy hell, you know, you hear Ian Moss's voice and you think, where did this guy come from? You're also lucky if you've got one great songwriter. Yeah. Oh, yeah, well... But I mean, for this album, it's all Don. It's all Don Walker. No one else sort of put their uh, hand in the ring. And it's often been said that when the other band members, you know, when Ian Moss came up with Bow River and uh, when you know, Jim Barnes you know, had gone and written Rising Sun or You Got Nothing I Want, them showing their hands is probably the beginning of the end 
for cultures or in their initial phase, you know, because everyone said, well, let me have a go, but, you know, and then you get Phil Small coming up with My Baby, which I don't know about you guys, but I think I can do without that one. But. Yeah, but Steve Presswich is When the War Is Over. Oh, holy hell. You know, the, you know it's, it's unusual to think that such a really tight, hard rock and drummer like that came up with the pop masterpieces in, uh, in that band. But, um, but, no, but this first album that Michael is bringing to the plate is all Don Walker in his, uh, in, uh, his glory. You know, these, these are gritty songs, but they're, they're showing that life is both beautiful and ugly. That's always been something that I've really admired about Don Walker's songwriting. Mm, and, and, and this album has been re-released recently, so it's um, available in a CD store near you. But it, it really is, if, you've, if, if you're an Australian and you sort of haven't gone back, and there is not a bum tune on this album. And, and the, the lesser-known tunes to me, are really strong. They, they really will grow on you. And, yeah, the, like the opening tune, Juliet, is just a, a great song as well. And one after another, there is, again, there is not a bum tune on the album. No, no. It's, um, it, it's, it's, it's an album with uh, great deep cuts. And I think it was like for a long time that they couldn't get away without playing One Long Day in a live context. It was, uh, I think, probably their most requested live track as i recall and, and actually i think it's still available there, there was an ep between the first and second album called you're 13 you're beautiful in your mind which yeah. had a, a live version of that on and and ian moss's guitar playing on that particular version is just blistering it is unbelievable that actually did get the cd treatment about three four years ago it had been out of print for so long. In fact, I got it on vinyl on a very limited reprint, repressing of uh, the vinyl. It'd been out of print for a long, long time. And when it became available again, I think it was like all of four dollars or something like that when I got it on this twelve-inch uh, live EP. And then it was like selling on. I don't know. I think it's selling for really stupid prices, hundreds of dollars now. If you have it, keep hold of it. If you don't have it, get the CD or get the download or something like that of course unless you're a, a vinyl purist in which case you go out and spend hundreds of dollars it's it's worth having but uh, also get hold of um, the first eponymous cold chisel album it's that's a really really good call michael uh, and and just just before we finish does my memory serve me right but was that one of the first out my loves you ever did on the on the show um, we covered Cold Chisel earlier on on the show, but we had, I think with Jeff Jenkins, we did uh, Circus Animals and East because I guess they were the, the two most well-known, the two most uh, iconic albums. I mean, I think I sort of had a preference for doing the first album, but uh, Jeff said, look, uh, let's keep it to ones that uh, more people will know about, which were uh, East and uh, Circus Animals. And I have absolutely no regrets. We had a great conversation, and I'm very grateful to Jeff for uh, you know, being a supporter of the show in those early days and getting me off the ground. But um, yeah, no, it wasn't, it wasn't that album, but uh, yeah, the East and Circus Animals, both fine albums that uh, you need to search out, and in their own right you know east was more of the pop album and circus animals was a return to their uh, to their hard rock roots although mind you both albums have represented representations of rock and pop as well you know, i mean i get circus animals was where stephen presswich truly came into his own you said before dave uh, when the war is over but also forever now forever now oh, yeah such a great song absolutely mm. all right so i'll um talk about my final album for the night and this is an album that's only been in my life for 
maybe about two weeks I discovered it while making a trip down to uh, Melbourne CD store off the hip which I've mentioned more than once on the podcast it's a, a CD store here in Melbourne that's been around for about 10 years I've only just sort of been in my life now for six months though but uh, I absolutely love it and uh, you'll be pleased about this Michael it's a it's an Adelaide band they're called ah. they're called the Vilnets and uh, they've just released this new album called Lady Luck well, So they've been around since 2012 and they'd already put out one EP but Lady Luck is their first full length album and was produced by uh, Mick Beatty from uh, Off The Hip uh, and also drummer for uh, power pop band The Thinkers and Mick was saying to me that uh, this uh, his production on this album I think he's the most proud of anything that he, uh, he's ever done and that's quite a big call because he's put out some fine albums rather than me trying to describe what it is that the Vilnets do on this album Lady Luck I've got a quote from their bio this, so this is they put it really really well they describe their album as a leather jacket party at a dive bar attended by the Cramps Dick Dale the Shangri-Las and the B-52s rock and roll with a splash of surf a shimmy of girl group and a razor edge of zombie punk this sums up beautifully the sound of the band um, look, even before I read that, my first thing was, yep, the Cramps and Dick Dale, but uh, the girl group stuff there, um, yeah, is a definite strong influence on the, the songs on this album. The artwork on the cover, and, and I, we don't normally talk so much about the artwork, um, our Monty Python references aside, Dave, but the, the artwork on the cover, it's a fantastic illustration of a, a party outside a saloon in a graveyard complete with zombies risen from the dead and moonshine and Elvis Presley haircuts and this tells you exactly what you're in for musically you know it's a tough rockabilly sound on this album that's been done by you know, many other bands over the years or you know, it's at least gone and inspired them but the Vilnets have a really raw vibrant exciting and sexy sound that I just so dig and I'm quite happy to hear more rock and roll of this type being created. In fact, another band that this reminds me of is a band that our good friend Eric Reanimator spoke about on an album I love segment uh, quite a while back, a band from Sweden called The Ultra Bimboos uh, and their album called Bimboo Wizard. So uh, I'd be surprised if the gals in the Vilnets had not heard them. But you got songs on uh, this album called, uh, with titles like Grave Digger or Psycho Nana. <laughs> Head. I'm a woman, 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 I'm a woman
like with arsenic. Which was actually um, a tribute to the uh, bass player, uh, her, her grandmother. Uh, there's a song called Set You On Fire, which apparently was really written for uh, someone who'd gone and uh, screwed around one of the members of the band. So uh, you wouldn't want to get on the bad side of these gals because uh, it's it's a nasty little song, but a, a really great rockabilly nasty little song. But if you're going to write nasty lyrics, at least you might as well make it musically exciting. And that is something that they've definitely done here. The closing track is called Lady Luck's Swinging Southern Jukebox Joint, which also sounds like a, a really hard rocking track. But in fact, it's um, I've already gone and mentioned on, uh, for another couple of albums here, that, uh, another last call for alcohol. Very very laid back very quiet sort of tear in your beer sort of thing but then you've got 15 minutes worth of silence before you get the hidden track which is another lad rockabilly track so overall just a really really exciting album i'm very excited to have it in my life and once again it's called the Vilnets lady luck mick is not big on doing the download sort of thing so if you want to get hold of it just go i think to offthehip.com.au uh, of course, if you live in Melbourne, just go visit uh, Off The Hit Records. They're, I can't remember the name of the strip. They're off Flinders Lane, uh, just over Queen Street. So uh, you can track them down there. But if uh, you live outside of Melbourne, then just look up Off The Hip on Facebook or uh, offthehip.com.au and you should be able to get this uh, really, really fine album. And as I said, uh, Michael, they're out of Adelaide. They're, uh, they're doing an album launch this uh, Friday, I think, in Melbourne and uh, coming back in April. So I think they're going to be fairly common visitors to Melbourne, but I'd be very interested to see if uh, you've heard of them around the traps in Adelaide. No, not at all, but I shall uh, go searching. Sounds interesting. Indeed. All right, well, there you go. There you have it. I can't quite sort of work out the timing. After We've still got editing to do, but how much, how long we've uh, been speaking for, but, you know, let's say a rough hour and a half uh, with some uh, tunes thrown in. I really, truly hope that uh, you've been digging on the show what uh, the three of us plus Eric Reanimator had to say. So just you know, a couple of quick plugs here. So, uh, Michael, who's been coming into the bar in Adelaide? I'd really be interested. I know that you've uh, been speaking to someone very interesting over the weekend for a future episode of Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide. I did. I, I did an interview with Mark Holden yesterday before anyone starts gagging. He was really... <laughs> He was really an interesting guy, and he's he's, he's actually in South Australia to uh, to firstly be inducted into the South Australian Musical Hall of Fame, mm-hmm. which is fine. Uh, but he's also um, promoting a, a big charity uh, sort of event out in the uh, outback South Australia for a for a men's cancer charity called okay. I think it's called September Blue. So you know, really good cause and, and interesting stuff. A sort of a, a variety club batch sort of thing. Tell us about some of the people he, who he's uh, written with, because that just blew my mind. Yeah, and that's yeah, that's where I sort of I came from. I, you know, I'm certainly not a fan of, of his pop stuff back in the '70s at all. But but he he spent a lot of time living in Los Angeles and and wrote songs for Belinda Carlisle from the the Go Go's. I love Belinda Carlisle. Um, the likes of um, the Temptations. He had a I think a top forty hit with the Temptations in the '80s. Hmm. Um, Fleetwood Mac, uh, Meatloaf, some some yeah amazing people that he worked with. But the the one that really blew my mind, he he wrote a, a tune with Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols. Now no, that just that just to, freaked me out when you told me that. <laughs> it's amazing, isn't it? When you think back to 1977, when Mark Holden was strutting around Countdown with a carnation, waving a carnation at, at screaming little girls, and and the Sex Pistols were doing their thing in London. Uh, would listen, you have ever thought in a million years that they would have met? 
Well, <laughs> list, listeners out there, just to get an idea of this man who's written with Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols, look up on YouTube, Mark Holden, I Want to Make You My Lady. Okay, and then <laughs> yeah, you will indeed. not see anyone less likely to play with the Sex Pistols than this guy. And throwing carnations into the audience, it was it was cheese plus central. But but also he, he did mention that he's got a, a a biography coming out soon, which which will be interesting to to cover. You know that's the stuff that I mentioned from um, from his time in America, but also. You know, he was he he came in an interesting time when when he he went from from Adelaide to to Melbourne on the Ernie Sigley show. I'm not sure if any people remember that, mm. um, but it's an interesting time. But also, you know, he he alluded to the fact that you know he was he was um, he's going to throw a lot of dirt on um, on Idol because he was sacked from the show. Uh, <laughs> so I think it's going to be a really good read. So um, it sounds really good. So um, when will that be uh, online? Very soon, in the next couple of weeks. Okay, all right. So probably it'll be released about the same time that uh, this program is going to be released. So look it up. And how can people find Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide? Because you're not on iTunes. No, and I've been saying this for years, haven't I? I'm going to get around to doing it. Um, Do the Google things. Put Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide into your search engine and you will find me. Actually, do Sitting in a Bar in Adelaide podcast because you're more than likely to find the Skyhook song oh, yes, the show yes, is named Eagle. after. So Sitting Indeed. in a Bar in Adelaide podcast into Google and um, any number of podcast distribution outlets will hopefully let you download any of the fine episodes of uh, of the show and also search out the episode that Michael mentioned earlier with his interview with Jim Keyes of the Master's Apprentices, which it's been a while since I listened to it, but I think that might have been one of the first episodes I might have listened to of uh, of your show and uh, it just sort of really impressed me that you got to speak to the great man so yeah but uh you've got like what over you must be close to 500 episodes or, or have you already surpassed that i can't even no, we get 500 in about um june i think june all right so uh dave any um musical projects that you wish to publicize uh, definitely, it's Ash Naylor Week here in Melbourne. Naylor Palooza, of course. Well, mind you, um, by the time this show comes out, it'll all be done and dusted. But uh, yes, he, uh, Ash Naylor is doing the bands that's playing. Like I think it started tonight while we're recording. But you know, the bands over Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, so they're playing at the uh, Yarra Hotel. The Yarra, the Yarra Hotel. And the the first three nights are all sort of nuggets, psychedelia, and power pop inspired bands. None of which I'd heard, but they just sound just bands that he does for the love and the fun of it. And he's a busy man. He's playing. He's now going to be on Rock Quiz, and yep, he's he's guitar full time guitar playing in Paul Kelly's band. And he's still got Even as a going concern, which are playing Friday and Saturday night, and the Grapes, which is a Thursday night gig. Yep. So, um, you you going to any of the gigs? I'm going to try to get myself in there, but um, I think the Even ones probably would have sold out. Oh, really? I better. Oh, I'm, I'm still trying to work out. My wife's trying to convince me that we should go to the Grapes on uh, Thursday night, and I'm still sort of thinking, oh, but Lost Straight Jackets, you know, they're back in town, and they might never come back here again. But I don't know. It's a hard thing because you know the Grapes are absolutely awesome, and you know we waited years and years and years for them to uh, put out album number two. So, and they are love that album. Uh, alumni, so you know, you know, should be supporting the local. Anyway, we'll see what happens Thursday night. But yes, Naylor Palooza, a whole week-long tribute to uh, to Ash Naylor, you know, one of our hard-working musicians and a great songwriter in his own right, and a great guitar player, very charismatic fellow. So I look forward to seeing what he does in the uh, cast of Rock Quiz 
over the coming months. Um, all right, so um, th- uh, so okay, so hopefully I'll catch you at a Nailer Palooza gig sometime this week. If you um, want to uh, find other ways to download the show, I'm not sure if you've downloaded it via iTunes and you've got Jack of iTunes, then you can find us at lovethatalbum.blogspot.com.au or lovethatalbum.podbean.com. You can join the Facebook group and just, and just start any manner of discussion about music, favourite records, favourite bands, put up a video clip of your dog humming tiptoe through the tulips. It's all good. And you can find us at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash love that album. We're very, very friendly here on the group and love to have uh, great discussions about music and all such like. So, um, okay, so that's covered that bit of housekeeping. Now, by the time this comes up, we should already have the Eric Reanimator compilation edition. So if you're if you're new to the show, Eric Reanimator, as well as doing his album I Love segment for the main program, also has his own spin-off of Love That Album called Love That Album, the compilation edition. And the, you know, basically we do one of each show per month. So his compilation edition should already be up and online by the time this comes out. And uh, the latest episode will be uh, he'll be talking about some Seattle related compilations look that up um, there's some really excellent stuff including an album uh, of uh, covers by the damned which is one of eric's very very favorite bands as done by uh, big seattle bands of the day but i'm sorry to say that on next month's show so we're in march so in april eric will not be doing an album i love segment for the main program and that's because he will be joining me for uh, the program proper. So I might have to find a substitute to do an album I love segment. Um, be nice to give someone a guest spot. That would be uh, a lot of fun. So next month, we'll be talking about two bands, both with the same name, uh, one Australian and one from uh, America. So the uh, the band name is X. So we'll be talking about uh, the Australian band X and their classic album At Home With You, available on Aztec Records as a reissue. And we'll be talking about uh, the Los Angeles band, X, and their third album, I think, called Under the Big Black Sun. Uh, Great right uh, album that is. Yeah, I, look, I'm, I'm just so amazed that I didn't get into them sooner, uh, and I'll explain why when we get to the show, but there's a whole bunch of reasons that they should have been in my life a lot earlier, but it's, it's going to be... Uh, uh, a really wonderful show uh, discussing about two fantastic albums and both with the same band name. So um, there you go. Once again, thank you so much, Michael and Dave, for uh, being part of the show again. It's been way too long for both of you. Good fun, mate. Cheers, Morris, and uh, cheers, Dave. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Michael. Thanks, Morris. And we'll, really uh, it's been wonderful having you. So, uh, yep, we'll uh, speak to you again in April for... Uh, Love that album, episode 74, and also make sure that uh, you give Eric a listen to on the compilation edition. Until next month, please look after yourself, listen to some great music, watch some great movies. All right, we'll see you soon on Love That Album. Cheers. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. 
And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.